Hello and welcome to Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today, we're not going to talk about DC League of Super Pets because someone, not that I'm pointing <laughs> fingers, forgot to watch it. But before... Me? I forgot to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, we're going, to, uh, we're going to talk about the end of WoW Season 3, which is also conveniently tomorrow. So, you know, not a huge deal either way. Um, but before we do that, Buddy, what you the folks who don't want to do this video on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And if there has been any game that we have played kind of most consistently over the last two years, it probably has been World of Warcraft, right? Uh, with the launch of World of Warcraft Shadowlands, uh, you know, I had been playing WoW, you know, regularly before then. Uh, but uh, you also joined in for, for the launch of Shadowlands, and we've just kind of been going steady at it. Um, ever since, right? Because as we've talked about in many other contexts, the nice thing about these sort of lifestyle games is that you can invest as much or as little of yourself in them as you want, right? Um, so, you know, if if all you really have time for and all you're really interested in is showing up for raid three hours a week, fair enough, right? Um, but, uh, but, you know, like when a new big patch is out, there's all this new stuff to do, uh, you know, bosses to kill, like fights to learn, all of, all of, all of that. That, all of that good stuff. And obviously, Season 3 brought with it um, uh, a new raid, a whole big new zone, Zareth Mortis. Um, obviously, new story developments and updates, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, and you know, upda updates to, like, systems, right? The Return of Tier sets, all this other sort of stuff. So we're just going to we're gonna talk about We're going to talk about some of that. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so, yeah, um, you've been more active than I have been recently. I've just kind of, I have, I have honestly in the I past I've also not been very active recently, to be honest. Fallen off. Um, so, you know, so traditionally when we clear Heroic, we do the kind of review of the raid. But, um, at least our guild did not clear Heroic this time. Uh, you did, specifically. So, I'll, I'm going to require you to talk about, or I'm not going to require, I'm going to rely on you to talk about, effectively, the last three bosses and how that was uh, Jailer and um, uh, Dreadlords, I guess. Uh, yeah, Jailer, Lords of Dread, and Rigalon, right? Yeah, are the three yeah. That, we, that we, we got a lot of reps on Rigalon. Uh, we never got him down, so at least I feel like I can talk about that. Um, yeah, effectively, Anduin, heroic Anduin, was our was our final boss, right? Like yeah. that was our AOTC, which, to be fair, sort of lines up with the way that um, you know some of the thinking that went into that went into this raid. You know, something that Ian Hazakosta said. Um, a lot about Sepulchre of the First Ones is that uh, they wanted it to have two final bosses, right? Both Anduin on, uh, on like kind of the f uh, as this this stepping stone, really tough boss in the first eight, and then the Jailer at the very very end of the raid, um, which makes you know which makes a certain amount of sense because Anduin is maybe. You know, compared to most other, I feel like, bosses in uh, modern WoW history, Anduin feels like a final boss more than most of them, right? Like, maybe I could make an argument that the Kel'Thuzad fight in Sanctum of Domination also felt like a final boss. Um, but I don't think anything in Nathria, except for Denathrius felt like a final boss um and the same stuff is sort of true for you know going back into into previous raids that i did but you might not have right nizoth um was obviously obviously like the final boss the capstone there as chara was the capstone definitely not zakul um and it's just kind of like 
when I when I look back at some of these older raids, it's pretty clear to me that uh, maybe since Legion, I guess I would say in the Nighthold, which was a raid that I think we made we may have done together. Yeah, um, Elisand uh, no. and Gul'dan both kind of had that final boss feel. So, I, so maybe I, that's maybe that's as far back as it goes. I have never I didn't do Nighthold. I I did I dropped off after the first raid in in. Uh, oh right, in yeah. Legion. Okay, so Emerald Nightmare was the first raid. Yeah. But, I think I think I joined in with you guys in Nighthold for like a couple of runs, like right before um, a battle for Azeroth, which I burned myself out on before it even really started, which was a, a shame on my part. Um, yeah. But uh, but um, yeah, just the the only thing I would even say, and I can't remember the boss's name, so this is like not, definitely not from a storyways perspective, but from a mechanics perspective, um, Painsmith I think was the the boss. Um, like the mm -hmm. last boss for you went upstairs in in. Um, Castle Nathria definitely mechanically felt like a big hurdle to, to clear. Um, so maybe I'd give, I, I'd say that one. Um, it also had like yeah, a lot of Yeah, I also think part of it is like the story significance of it, right? Right. right you know, right. like there's obviously a lot of story significance to killing Anduin in the Sepulchre Raid, um, which I do think translates, you know, as part of like there's a special cutscene that plays after killing um, after killing Anduin, and it kind of puts a cap on on his stuff with his character. Um, a cutscene that I think of as, as very good, but I don't know, maybe we could talk about story stuff a little bit later down the line. Um, when it came to just, like, the overall, like, when it came to just the overall season, what's your, what's your kind of headline, right, compared to season one and season two of Shadowlands? Did you have a favorite of the three of them? Um, I don't know. So, so, before we, well, I... Well, on that, I did want to ask you a question about okay. Sanctum specifically. So, um, we, like you said, we beat Anduin, and then, like, the raid just kind of, like, didn't, like, it, it felt like between, like, summer, it being summer and people, like, doing vacation stuff and kind of general malaise about the expansion. Um, and I think maybe that Anduin felt like a pretty, pretty significant achievement. Um, our raid, at least, felt like it. It, it never kind of got back to the Anduin beating point after that, which is why we couldn't push through the, the final three bosses. How much of that is on, um, like, environmental, let's say, uh, things? Like, let's say, you know, let's let's say end of expansion plus, um, plus like, you know, summertime vacation, um, plus, like, it's a relatively short season, um, versus how much of it is that, like, Sanctum, like, those last three bosses weren't as compelling, right? Like, like, like raid-specific things. And maybe I've put one or two things in the wrong category, but I'll let you, uh, I'll, I'll let you make those distinctions, and, and I'm curious as to what you think Yeah, that. that's interesting. I do think some of it is just kind of like a raw, you know, throughput skills thing, right, That that's a little tougher to parse. So, for instance, Rigalon, even on pulls where we were doing, where we were doing well, I, we were just kind of always behind the timer, and it's just like, boy, like, we really need everything to go perfect. We have sort of no leeway for anything to happen on this fight except for, right, like, people to kind of, like, put up or shut up, right? Um, and I think that there's a bit of a question about that, right? Like, how much of that is a gear thing and how much of it is just, like, a like a mechanics and knowing you know, and knowing your class thing. Um, I like Rigalon. I'm very good at Rigalon, which feels good. Um, I have very, hold on. Let me actually see if I can find this on Warcraft logs, because I'm pretty sure I have some like pretty insane parses on, um, uh, I have some pretty insane parses on heroic Rigalon, partially because this was a, um, uh, this was a raid that I 
got very good gear pretty quickly. You know, I have the um, I have the jailer trinket. I have the jailer mace on heroic, uh, which is which is kind of nuts. Which is kind of you know a huge huge like DPS. Uh, you know, like a huge DPS hurdle. Yeah. So we just did this the other day, two days ago. Um, and, you know, and I was doing 12,000 damage. I was the top damage in, in that raid by kind of by quite a lot, by three percentage points. So over the course of the raid, I was doing 10% of the, the, the whole raid's DPS. We had 19 people, it looks like. Um, I was doing 10% of the raid's DPS. And uh, the n next down from that was 9%. And then there's this whole big chunk of people at seven, right? And I sort of think that a very similar thing was set up for when we were doing Rigalon um, in Wombo as well, right? Where it was kind of just like, there's a couple of performers at the very top end um, and other folks who are just kind of having a harder time and are sort of struggling through um, dealing with some of those mechanics. I think part of that is just the, the nature of the fight. Rigalon's a pretty easy fight for me to sort of funnel on um, in a just kind of raw DPS way. Um, but it's, you know, and, and another piece of this is also that I got very geared in Mythic Plus, right? You know, I'm, I was able to, uh, cause Mythic Plus is just like kind of my main game mode at, at this point in, in Shadowlands, right? So I'm walking in at eye level 277 with more or less perfect gear. Like there's one trinket that I'm technically missing and some other stuff. Um, but you know, generally speaking, very, very good gear. Um, for Mythic Plus, and that stuff I think makes a makes a pretty big difference because in Heroic you are a little bit capped in terms of you know how much gear you are able to get and put forward into a uh, and put forward into a boss encounter. So that, that, that's that's interesting. Do you think that's a, a good design decision, right? Because like obviously like partly just because of my own choices, I wasn't doing anything but raiding, so I didn't really have that opportunity. Maybe I had that opportunity, but I didn't. It, w it wasn't a thing that was like particularly compelling to me. I guess. Um, do you think that's 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 good design? Do you think that like like there seems at least between the PvP and the PVE side of things, there seems to be a kind of like a, a thought of like you can get to the top of the hill on either one. And it doesn't require crossing over. Um, do you have do you have any thoughts? Uh, I think it is a. This is kind of one of those things that's like an unintended consequences question to me. Um, which is to say that um, there are problems, I guess, with the design of the... Or, 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 I think actually really what I want to say is um, people asked for this sort of setup, right? Because the previous answer to this question was, well, you have these... Sh you know, you have Shards of Domination, you have Domination Gear... In, in Sanctum of Domination, and those things will power up over time. Even if you're killing bosses week by week, you know, you're getting these you're getting these bonuses, you're getting your bonuses up to rank five. That ha that makes a really huge kind of payoff in in raid, right? Um, and people really, you know, push back against that design, right? And th this feeling like in order to participate in the raid, they have to do weeks and weeks and weeks of grinding in order to, like, get up there. And that's something that I felt too, right? Like, it just, I never wanted to go into Sanctum on any other character but Baron because I didn't want to farm out a second set of shards and it felt weird walking in there without any shards, right? Um... The unfortunate side effect of that is it flattens the overall kind of progression curve over the course of the, you know, over the course of the patch. Once everybody picked up four set, maybe a month or six weeks into the, into the patch, 
you're pretty much done in terms of power, right? You have your legendary, your, you know, your, your soulbind tree is all maxed out. There's no renown coming in week by week by week and giving you like these kinds of piecemeal small upgrades. So, you know, if we compare this to season four, over the course of four months, there's a really steady incline, even if it is a very low sloped incline, to towards everyone's power because we're grinding out these shards, we're grinding out renown, right? We're 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 powering up slowly week after week after week. That kind of thing doesn't happen in Sepulchre, um, and because it doesn't, it leaves Mythic Plus as one of the more straightforward ways to pick up very high end gear because obviously Mythic Plus chests are going to give you 278 gear, um, which is the you know like the equivalent of heroic and the ability to zap gear with the Creation Catalyst and Cosmic Flux is also making those sorts of things. Um, easier to, you know, to pull off. Um, and I think that is why it actually makes it much easier to raid Heroic if you are performing at a really high end on in in Mythic Plus. That makes sense. That makes sense. I buy that. All right. Well, to answer your initial question that I bought time with, with those questions, um, I would say that, personally, I think I liked this latest season better than the previous two, just because I like Xerath Mortis better than Corthia um, and uh, the Maw in general. Um, and I think... Theoretically, I like this raid better, even though we didn't get as far in it. Um, uh, so I will say that I like I kind of enjoyed doing the weekly for uh, for Xerath Mortis, um, unlike like the other ones, which is kind of like like I continued doing the Xerath Mortis weeklies long after I, there was any point for me to do them um, when I didn't do that with Corthia. Uh, so you know um, that was at least I found that at least like mildly compelling. Um, Although part of it too was that like by the time we hit maybe like June, all the other mechanics in the in like the expansion felt like tired and done. And I, you know, like I like I you know, I would like tend my my garden in as uh Night Fay once a week. Also it just it felt like too much it felt like it was too much effort for me to switch covenants um in terms of just like how, what the work I would have to put in in order to get the the cosmetic rewards, which I generally like, and you know, theoretically I might go back and do that um, at some point before the next expansion drops. But like, I'm also just as happy to like go play Elden Ring, right? Like, part part of that this maybe is that like mo like there were not a lot of compelling games for me in between, you know, like during seasons one and season two, or if there were, it was like things that I could do piecemeal. Whereas like. Starting in February, Elden Ring took up a large chunk of my time and still takes up some of my time. And then there's other games that came out that I was actually excited to play. Um, and so WoW just didn't stack up as well, even though I thought that the, the content was, was, was better, uh, if that yeah, makes sense. I, I definitely feel that. In fact, I'm feeling that right now, right? Like, uh, you know, we got Keystone Hero, right? So everything timed at 20 um, or uh, not technically that, a little bit higher when it comes to like rating and stuff. And um, and kind of all my desire to play WoW really sort of dropped out from under it. Also because I got the loot. This is the this is the curse, right? This is where game designers are smart actually, and they have outsmarted me, the player. I got the gear that I wanted out of Sepulcher. Um, I'm not Sepulcher. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Sepulcher. I got the gear that I wanted out of Sepulcher, and uh, the unfortunate side effect of that was that I felt like I just had nothing interesting to do. I was actually really on board for doing 
uh, I was really on board for doing Sanctum of Domination, even when I didn't have, you know, like, even when I didn't have real stuff to get, because just filling the box was really valuable to me, because I wanted an old warrior soul so bad, right, With the, the trinket that drops off of um, Sylvanas at the end of Heroic Sanctum of Domination, um, and I just, I wanted that old warrior soul so fucking bad, and the problem became that over the course of Sepulchre, I just kept getting the things that I was looking for. My very first kill of the Jailer, I got the mace in in the box next week. And then we went, we went back to kill the Jailer, and already there I was kind of like, boy, what the fuck am I doing here? I already have the mace. Um, and I got the Scars Trinket, right? Like this insanely powerful Scars Trinket. Um, and... And at the time, I was still progressing in Mythic Plus, so there was some value in it because it was making me that much more powerful over the course of, um, you know, the Mythic Plus runs that we were doing. But it was just like, man, there's something about getting getting those things that you want and not having some piece of loot to look forward to that just, like, tanked my, my investment in coming, uh, in, you know, in coming and showing up to raid week after week. Yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense. We we've talked about this before, um, in various contexts about like how you make that infinite climb palatable. Where like I you know I think this stands pretty starkly against something like a Diablo or like a Path of Exile, where like you know the gear can just kind of scale infinitely because you're not as concerned about people parsing against each other as you are about like people parsing against themselves. Um, and like the thing they got rid of was you know random or uh. What was it like? Drops are set, and there's no Titan forging anymore, right? Um, do you think that the loot system is good as of now? Um, and do you think that there's a, like do I don't I haven't kept up with the news. Are there any loot changes coming in in the future? And do you there think are huge ones coming in season four. Yeah. So, um, uh, God, uh, the the interesting thing about about loot that's going to be happening in season four is that you get little tokens, right? Have you heard about this at all? I haven't paid any attention at all, no. Okay, okay, okay. So this is how season four works. Season four, one raid a week is faded, which is to say it is the maximum eye level and is giving the best level of gear. The other two raids are at their normal eye levels for where what they're where they were in 9.2, 9.1, right? So if we were to go back to Sepulchre, it would be exactly as hard as, as it is right now for us, right? But the change that they made, like the, the crazy change going into season four, is that every time you kill a faded boss get a little token, right? Um, and those tokens, you actually get a quest is what is what it comes down to. And the quest, you can repeat it three times. And each time you do the quest, it takes fewer bosses to, to like get. But basically what happens is after you kill 10 bosses, or it's, I think it's after you kill 30 bosses. So on week three, right? If you do a full clear of the faded raid, raid on all three weeks, um, you kill you kill these thirty you you kill these thirty bosses. You get a token, and you can take that token to a vendor and buy literally any item from the raid. Or I also think maybe Mythic Plus, right? Just like you can just buy the the best piece of gear that you're missing, right? I can walk up and I can get the old warrior soul. I don't need to 
I don't need to do anything else. I can buy Gavel of the First Arbiter. I don't need to do anything else, right? Um, which basically means that for these huge, insane chase pieces of gear, which is typically weapons, um, typically trinkets, um, you know, I'm sure for Monk it'll be the Cruciform Vein Ripper, right? The uh, the fist weapon yeah, yeah. that drops off of Painsmith, which was insanely good. You just buy them, right? Um, and then when you are killing heroic bosses, you get little tokens as well, and those tokens can then upgrade the thing. You you buy the item at normal eye level, but if you're killing heroic bosses, you can then uh, use those items to zap that piece of gear from normal up to heroic, um, which I think is a pretty great change. I'm very all for it. Um, I think the... I guess the thing that I think most about that change um, is that I like a scaling system for loot such that I can get good gear at a lower eye level and then put in some time to to kind of max it out, which typically didn't exist. But it does exist for Mythic Plus, which is part of what makes Mythic Plus so fun, right? Um, is this feeling of... I'm, gr you know, I'm grinding these dungeons, I'm getting all of this valor, and I am pushing up that valor cap so that at a certain point I can take a piece of gear and immediately pump it to a really good eye level, right? Um, and uh, and kind of fill out, you know, like fill out my, my gear sheet with a really finely tuned set of, you know, secondary stats, the right, you know, the right bracers, the right helm, the right chest, all of that, um, all of that kind of stuff. So that sounds absolutely amazing for an end of expansion patch. Do you mm -hmm. think one? Do we know is this going to carry over into Dragonflight? And two, do you, and two, do you think it would be a good idea? Because it seems like it's more questionable as a beginning of an expansion. Uh, yeah, it is, yeah. and here's why. Um, the reason why I think it makes so much sense is a couple of a couple of things. Number one, season four we know is going to be much shorter. Uh, Dragonflight is due out by the end of the year. We obviously have four months left starting. Well, I guess actually, so August, September, November, October, December is five months, theoretically, because it starts tomorrow. You have you have the whole of, but let's say it's going to launch around the same time Shadowlands launched at the end of September, or I'm sorry, at the end of November. That's four months, right? That's four months between now and pre-patch for, for Dragonflight and what all of that is going to end up looking like. Um, that means uh, that you have half the time. To, to sort of farm out this gear than, than you would have had in previous patches. Actually, Season 3 itself was also truncated in short. Season 3 drops at the end of February, so you have, you know, March, April, May, June, July, five months. It's a five-month season compared to um, the previous two seasons, which were both eight months. I think... In general, people have wanted WoW to pick up the pace in terms of these content patches, which I more or less agree with, right? I think eight months was a really long time uh, for season one, seasons one and two to last um, for for most folks. And five months seems, you know, a, a good amount of time. Maybe maybe I would, I would have wanted a little bit more time. Maybe I think six months is kind of the appropriate length of a season where you go really hard for the first three months and kind of peter out and you have this long tail of, you know... Giving giving people enough time to get the gear, get the get the achievements right, get KSM and AOTC, all of that, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but the the other thing about so so number one, season four is shorter. Number two, season four has three raids that are rotating in it, right? So for instance, if I want a, a piece of really chase gear off of Sylvanas, well, I only have one opportunity every three weeks in order to get that piece of gear, which means that we might only see Sanctum in that rotation of raids, right? We might only see it 
two or four three times? two or three yeah no yeah it'd be once every four weeks so four times three is 12 12 divided by yeah four four times maybe five or six right like yeah exactly and it's just like uh, you know that that's not any way that anybody could farm out something like an, an old warrior soul um or any other piece of gear that's really powerful and impactful right um and so, and so I think those two things combined to make this system a very, very good system. But I think if this had existed in Sepulchre, right, and you had this kind of six weeks wind up into getting a piece of kind of chase gear or whatever, um, that would be much worse. Uh, because you would do the thing that I did, which was you would get you would get the gear, you, you would get that chase gear you're really looking for, and it's kind of like, well, what's the point, right? It's a huge driver to get me to go kill the jailer because I want the gavel that he drops, right? Um, and if I'm just guaranteed to get that gavel, especially if I'm guaranteed to get it after only a couple of weeks of waiting, um, you kind of end up in this situation that people had with tier sets, right? Where the first few weeks of tier sets, people like dropping they were insane like people really wanted them right i was stuck at no tier for weeks just because i wasn't getting any drops we weren't winning any rolls any of this other kind of stuff sarian you know famously he picked up his four piece almost as soon as he possibly could which was just like an insane jump but that only lasted for six weeks right like at, at a certain point, just everybody had enough to get to get stuff at the catalyst. Um, and I actually would maybe posit that that was bad. You know, like that the ability for people to complete tier as quickly as they did had a detrimental effect on kind of this fall off that we that we're experiencing now sort of with the um, with the raid. And if that, you know, if there had been a little bit more runway there um, in terms of maybe it takes nine weeks instead of six, something like that. Um, you would have, it would have slowed the whole pace of acquisition down because at a certain point you're just like, Oh, well I have tier. I don't, you know, I don't need this. I don't need this thing anymore. Um, and I would expect that a similar sort of situation in Dragonflight uh, for the first raid would, would also kind of be warranted um, where maybe there is a system like this where you can buy a really insane piece of chase gear, but it is not, you know, it's not right. It's not right off the bat, or or maybe it's it is right off the bat, but it, it is a very long kind of grind to get there, right? I think really what I would like to do is I would say two months after the raid goes live. You know, you you have boom, the raid goes live, stuff is happening, and then on week eight, right, on week eight of the raid go, going live, you have the, this quest sort of pops up. Um, and then maybe like a week or two after that, people, people start completing it because like you want to leave a certain amount of room for them to get the gear on their own and for someone to kill the jailer week one and get the gavel of the first arbiter and feel like a huge baller because of that, um, without necessarily, uh, sort of, um, uh, breaking down the relationship between sort of chase gear um, and frustration, right? Uh, if if this is to serve as bad luck protection, I think you can probably draw that out a little bit uh, to see to see where it lands. Yeah, I'm I'm th just thinking about it. I feel like you could you could make it work if like you know you can like you can only get upgrade gear bosses you've you've downed right. Like you can't like you know. Um, and then, like, maybe on, like, if you've beaten the normal version, you can upgrade it to, like, a halfway point between normal and heroic. So that then you're, like, you have a, you have motivation to keep beating the boss because you're getting, like, this, like, upgrade currency, 
right? And then, like, you can't, but you can't actually get yourself up to heroic power, and then you actually have to go beat it in heroic. And then, you know, halfway it up to, to mythic, right? It's like, kind of like, just like, I'm just thinking of, a, trying to think of a way to, like, make that continuous, right? Also, maybe just like, you know, I feel like maybe the, the, the set chase would have been, so the problem with set chase is that, like, it was so much power in, like, very discrete chunks. Um, and so, like, I've, so, first of all, um, Embers of Creation or whatever the fuck they were called, they were, they were way too easy to get, right? Like, you know, I never was short on them at all. And I didn't even play, like, I, like, I played a, a bit, but I didn't play so much that that was, like, ridiculous or whatever. And so maybe, like, a I actually, I think I disagree with that. I think they were not sourced for you. They were sourced for alts, if that makes sense. Um, the Cosmic Flux is what it's called. Right. Okay, yeah. I think yeah. Cosmic Flux was built to kind of be bountiful on mains, um, so that, such that mains didn't really have to work on it. But it represented a certain amount of earning and investment on alts because i did run a couple of alts um okay. in in especially the beginning of the expansion i uh, the, the beginning of the patch i actually went really hard on alts probably maybe some of the reasons that i'm feeling burnt out now is because i went so insanely nuts on alts in the beginning of the expansion but i also just i was having such a good fucking time with it um and there was a really big hurdle to to picking up uh creation uh, what, are they, what are they fucking called Cosmic Flux. There was a really big hurdle to picking up Cosmic Flux on alts. And something that we were doing when we were kind of gearing up our alts and getting them up together was like, you know, running around and doing all of the one-time chests in Xerath Mortis because they all dropped 200, right? And even that, you know, you, you need to do like 10 of them maybe maybe like 7 of those chests or whatever um, in order to... Um, in order to like upgrade one piece of tier, right? In order to like zap one piece of tier over, right? Um, and I was spending a lot of time killing like rares and stuff on my alts in order to zap one piece of tier, you know, like one piece of tier over. So I think that Cosmic Flux was there for alts such that when the later stages of the patch came up, you could spend two weeks going really hard on Xerath Mortis and kind of outfit yourself with a good amount of tier. Rather than, you know, being built for mains who are going to be spending the first six weeks in Xerath Mortis doing everything every week, right, and just flooding themselves with Cosmic Flux. All right, so I, I buy that, right? But um, in that case, my criticism is going to be that, um, you know, Season 3 didn't have a good chase then, right? Just because it was yeah. so easy to get, like, like, like... So I guess my argument would be is if you wanted to make that chase better, maybe cut down on the, the amount of Cosmic Flux... To the detriment of all players, which you know I get is you know a, a trade off there, but uh, that's probably um, what I'd say. Like that, or like, and again, I think part of the problem is is that like four set is like a very discreet, large jump in power, right? Versus like you know something like you know upgrading your items a couple eye levels is feels much more continuous, right? Like you know it's like I get a little bit of power, like I, I do a. a a bit of work and I get a little bit of power as opposed to I do a bunch of work and I get a bunch of power and that's it. Um, which I think is like, just like not like, I think that's fine in like certain circumstances. Like I've talked about this before in, in the Diablo three context, right? I just like, whenever I go back to that game, I generally play to the season bo set bonus and then I kind of fall off because like, that's such a big jump in power that like, I kind of like, it's, it's like games, all games all seem nominal after that. And I think that's like a, uh, 
a relative like that, that's like a kind of like a motivation killer in a lot of ways like you were talking about right getting your piece of chase gear um and i think like there's different levels to that right like you know uh you know kind of like it's like um it's like a what's what's the word for it um the, the curve is kind of like a logarithmic curve right like you know you know you get like 80 percent like like you know you put in like so much effort you get 80 percent of the way there and it's just like diminishing returns all the way up um i think that's like i think that's a, a uh, a real problem, and you have to make that that end of the tail com- compelling enough in 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 some way. Um, like both achi- like both it has to both be achievable and compelling, which is like a, a tough a tough thing to balance, right? Like, yeah, I also think that there is a um, see. Okay, so there's there's another piece of this puzzle, which is that you know players complain about that, right? Like that's the infinite grind that was pulled out of eight point. Right. No, I'm sorry. Nine point two. Or nine point nine point the, the Corthia grind. Nine point two. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Right. Like players really complained about the Corthia grind, and we talked about this before. It represented an incredibly small amount of power. Right. Point four percent of their overall power budget. But just seeing that a thing could be upgraded created this. It like induced this feeling that they had to upgrade. You know, to upgrade the thing. And I would argue that they are wrong for that, you know, like, you know, that that, that they are not doing the math appropriately in their head. I just don't think people really think in those sorts of terms, right? Like, what matters to them is the feeling of not being capped, right? Not the amount at which, you know, the amount by which they are missing the cap, right? Which was why it was kind of funny when I would respond to some of these threads on on Reddit or whatever, right? Like I would go to Reddit and I would do the math for people. I would just show them exactly what it was like. Here's here's what my character looks like with this level of conduits. Here's what they look like with that level of conduits, right? Um, and the answer was that no one ever thought about it. No one ever thought about the um, like the percentage increase change between the two. And I think the real bedrock of this is actually the, you know, we call this the two games problem. Um, this is something that, that Ian talked about in interviews around Dragonflight when they were talking about the use of a spell called Power Infusion, right? Power Infusion is a priest spell. It is an incredibly powerful haste buff, right? It is 25% haste for 20 seconds to one target. You can target anybody in your raid, right? Um, it's basically a, a, a lust, a single person lust for, for 20 seconds every, you know, two minutes um, in, in a raid like that, right? Um and people hate power infusion, and the reason why is because if you're competing on meters in Warcraft logs, right, power infusion changes the contours of those meters by a significant degree. If I'm in a raid with three priests and those priests know to stack their power infusions in such a way that I have a 60 second window where I'm at 25% haste, I'm obviously going to just absolutely dumpster everyone else in the in you know on the logs who i am yeah in in the logs right with those kinds of competitions and if i were to go to warcraft logs and start looking up oh like who are the best you know who are the best raiders in the world if i were to look at you know reports for who in sepulcher right has the best parses I'm going to guess that those parses are going to include an insane amount of power infusion. Okay, so the best parse in the entire world right now is 48,000 DPS, right? The guy who got this parse received 33 buffs. So 33 power infusions over the course of the fight. Yeah, who can compete with that, right? Nobody. Um, 
And Ian broke this down. He called it the two games problem. Wow, is two games. One game is the game that is created by the developers, which is kill the boss, right? Kill the boss, get loot. Help your friends. Work work together, you know, heal, soak aggro, right? Um, do mechanics. Like all of those all of those pieces Win is, the game, is part of game one. Right. Yeah, exactly. One of the aspects of that game is I can buff my teammates. I am a powerful priest, a supportive caster, and I can use an ability that makes my my teammate this much more powerful, right? In the same way that in d and I might cast haste uh, or I might, you know, uh, put some, some heroism, person, you know. Heroism, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like all of these, Dark all skin. of these abilities are are the same sorts of things, right? To make one of the members of my party more powerful. Very classic RPG kind of like party team based stuff here, right? And there are other buffs too, right? Obviously, power infusion is the most single target and egregious of them. But a raid in which someone has battle shout versus a raid in which someone is lacking battle shout has a meaningful difference in their DPS, right? By about five percent. We know like that number is pretty straightforward. Um, then there's game two. And game two is I am competing on a third-party site Warcraft logs to have one of the best parses in the world, to get orange and yellow parses, to see the little number 100, you know, at the top of the, at the, top of the list, right, to get to just be one of the best people in the world, right? And there is a real question for, for Blizzard. How much do they want to design for game two and how much do they want to design for game one? And one of the problems is that the entire sphere of their content creator circles lives in that game one archetype. There aren't all that many players who are uh, that, like content creators for WoW who are casual bad players, right? If you are a WoW content creator, you know, the most the, the most famous WoW content creator is is Limit Max, who doesn't even raid in the raids that he is in, right? He is the he is the guild leader for, you know, the most popular world first raiding guild in in the world for for um not Method uh Team Liquid, right? They they moved from Method to Liquid. Um and and those are the people who are playing game two and who are complaining about game two such that all of the rest of, you know, all of the rest of kind of the wow sphere, I guess I would say, um, are listening to the people who are complaining about game two, complaining about it. And they're trickling that kind of thought and behavior into their approach to game one, if that makes sense. Right. This is the problem of I can't get ahead of the curve. Because I don't have all of my conduits maxed in Corthia. Um, anyway, that was a really long walk to sort of say that, you know, the the high end, like this high end stuff that is happening in this two game kind of problem is the bedrock that is creating all of these issues when it comes to sort of the grind and the chase. Because I think for us, we're very much game one players and being a game one player without a long purpose grind uh, is not all that fun or interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at some level, I am definitely also a game two player, right? Like, part of the reason I raid is to like parse well against myself mostly, and like you know, yep. like globally in a certain way. But like, that's also like, I don't know. I get, I guess that's part. I actually think you might be slightly off in that it's not that like, or rather, is your contention that the people that are complaining are game one players that are misled? Uh, I think 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think the the there is a real contingent. The reason. So the reason that I explained that math thing. Right. People, people aren't doing the math. Obviously, game two players are doing the math. Game two players are thinking about this all this all the time, and I think that's why you know some of these systems are so frustrating for them, right? Um, but if you are a game one player, um. You're probably not doing the math. You're probably getting that. You're, you're getting that sort of trickle down feeling that I was that I was describing a little bit earlier. Yeah, I, I think I think part of the issue there is that they're game one players that aspired, or they are they are, they are actually game two. Hmm, how do I want to put this? Is like temporarily may, embarrassed game two players. <laughs> I mean, maybe kind of right, or like they're game two players that just like aren't up to, right. Like you know, anybody who plays ranked Guilty Gear right is a ranked Guilty Gear player. The fact that they're not very good at it doesn't make a difference, right? That's true. Like. You know, I, as a person, I am perfectly fine to let those things come in as they will and gain my power because we are also part of, like, a less intense raiding guild, right? Um, but I, I, I guess I kind of understand that, like, people people whose bread and butter is WoW for whatever reason, right? Like, maybe financial reasons, right? Like, this is the only game they can afford to play. And so they're, you know, min-maxing their WoW, right? Like, I, don't, I, I feel like I, I, I understand why people want that to be, like, why they feel put off by that it's just i don't know it, it, it is an impossible thing to balance obviously because you know like this courtier grind should be like a success on both fronts and it's a failure on both fronts right like it's, it's an infinite thing you can kind of do and do as you will and that's like the intention but nobody feels that way or like rather the people who are loud about it feel don't feel that way and the people who aren't loud about it probably aren't engaging with the system at all which is like a, a weird place to 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 be in I guess. Yeah, I also think that to a certain extent, you know, um, the there is friction where where it's kind of like eat your vegetables. Something that players complain about when it comes to WoW is no one is out in the outside world, that it is functionally an instanced lobby game, which is a, a criticism I agree with. I think it is really bad when the game is just sitting in Ouroboros, applying to groups in the group finder, and then going into dungeons, right? I think the game does need really good, compelling world content, and some of the stuff that frustrated me about f previous expansions that I fell off of the game on, uh, which is to say Cataclysm and uh, Miss of Pandaria and uh, Warlords of Draenor, was there was really no reason to be out in the outside world after a certain point, right? You kind of had a couple of rep grinds, right? But once those kind of were polished off, there's just kind of no reason to do world content anymore. And I want there to be world content. I want there to be a reason for me to go out and do world content. Even if I'm even if I'm burnt on the game like I am right now, I'm not doing any of that stuff. I know, right, that there are callings that have grateful offerings and I can trans I can I can use those to buy transmog. That is a good system. It's a system I like a lot, and it's a system that I want them to sort of like continue forward. But part of that puzzle is that you also need good reasons to get people out in the first place, right? Um, and I think people probably don't want to be running around killing rares and Xerath, Mortis, and Corthia, but I think it's kind of fair for the developers to go, tough, eat your vegetables, you need to farm a certain amount of Cosmic Flux. You need to farm a certain amount of whatever in order to, in order to do this thing. Um, and and when there is friction for for that right like when there's too much friction between that I think that it'll, it'll it rubs people the wrong way um, but otherwise you know it's kind of good to have a new big patch come out and have everybody flooding into a zone calling out rares and getting that feeling of you know flying to a rare that just got called in general chat with a huge group of people honestly the thing that was so impressive to me about Zareth Mortis the thing that made 
eight point or I'm sorry, eight, nine point two so fun for me was replicating this feeling of, you know, I'm an adventurer. There's a bunch of other adventurers around me. We've gotten some kind of alert that there's a problem across the zone. Everybody mounts up and we get on our flying mounts and we fly across the zone to kill, you know, to kill this threat or whatever. You just do that over and over again. I was, I probably put 200 hours just sitting in groups doing that. And I would have, I would have, I would never tell you that was a waste of time. That was incredibly fun, right? Um... And, uh, and that kind of stuff only happens when you, when you have a real reason to, to push people into outdoor situations like Zareth Mortis, Zareth, Zareth Mortis and Corthia. Though, obviously, Zareth Mortis did it much better, I think, than Corthia did. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think part of that is also just, like, flying was available after some number of weeks, right? And, it, like, me doing it doable and also, like, much less, uh, put a lot less friction on it. Also, just kind of, like... I think this like there were it felt like there were more rares and like this one was like better organized right like sure um yeah, yeah. also just kind of like i don't know from from my perspective too is like i i always have war mode on and like if like war mode's always a little bit more dead than like not war mode um but it's like it like at this point it's kind of like it's strange for me to even like see somebody from the opposite. Like you know, it's like I'll see one like once a week, right? Like I'll be like, oh, that's there's a guy, and like maybe we're not going to fight each other or whatever. But like at least you know, like th th to your point, right? Like it's like in these lull periods, it's not as uh, not as compelling. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, what else uh, about this patch? Did, did you like? Uh, the, we like, can talk a little bit about some of the bosses in particular. Uh, what what was your? Did you have a favorite? Or we could also just go boss by boss, right? Sure. Um, uh, Vigilant Guardian, you know, first boss of the raid, probably boring. Probably my least favorite of the first bosses, to be honest. I said one of my favorite bosses in Sanctum of Domination was Terragru, and I think that will continue to be true as we go into Season 4 and we actually get to go do Shriekwing, Vigilant Guardian, and Terragru back to back to back. Though I just want to give a quick shout-out to my friend Koi, <laughs> who, who learned on the very first poll that when the big giant ball comes out, if you are inside of its hitbox as it rolls down, it crushes you for a million damage, which is a one shot, which is a pretty beautiful thing. But, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't care about this boss and I don't find it all that interesting or complex. Yeah. Um, weirdly, this might be like from like just like a, a playing perspective, my favorite boss. But that's only because like monks have i think i've talked about this before have this weird problem where like they're very good at aoe and not super great at single target and this is like probably the single best aoe boss in the in the raid if i think about it mm -hmm. right um maybe um like the 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 other option is the council fight which is also pretty good um and architect like architect you don't you don't get good groupings on enemies typically um uh, and just for that reason, right? Like I can parse really well on that, and that makes me feel good on the inside. So I really like that opening boss for for that reason, right? I can put my Fair touch enough. of death ring on. I can use it like every sixty seconds. I can spin around like an asshole and get like giant uh, parses, <laughs> and that makes me feel good inside. So yeah, um, yeah, that makes plenty of sense. Um, after that was Desegne, which is maybe one of the most perfect early bosses I have ever I've ever done in the sense that. I think the job of an early boss is to be surmountable. It's to be beatable, right? You know, um, and 
really the only mechanic in that fight is just, you know, it's like, get down, Mr. President. Shout out to Rodrigo for that one. And it is rings, right? You know, it is the don't get hit by two two rings in a row. Um, and it's just such, it's so simple. It's so sweet. All you do otherwise is just beat the ever-living fuck out of this boss. And that's it. That's how, yeah, that's that's your life. Right? And there's one ad. I also feel very similarly about, like, Skolex or whatever the, uh, the, the, oh, the yeah. alternate mm -hmm. second boss is, right? Very similar. Very low mechanics, uh, you know, kind of overhead. Um with, you know, some adjustments on heroic. Um, and it's kind of like a... And then you beat the shit out of it, right? Like, it's... Um, again, this is, like, particular problems for monks because monks suck at single target for both of them. Um, or they're mediocre at single target. But, like, I think I agree with you. Like, as second bosses in in the raid, I think they're... I think both of them uh, are, are pretty good at, the, at that particular job. I think both wings actually... Or both sides of the path do a good job of kind of, like, ramping up. Right mm -hmm. to like um to to be like you know you know uh, you know surmountable difficult very interesting I think it's the way I'd, I'd put it although I think the um the the desert wing is all, uh, is what I'll call it is um like I think I think uh, Zycon or whatever his name is uh, is Zymox Zymox yeah is um is a little bit tougher than than the uh, than the council fight. Um, yeah, so on the one side you have the council into... Oh, wait. It's the council into the yeah, Arctic, into Lehuvim. Yeah. So it's Desegne de into the council into Lehuvim, and then you have Skolix into Zymox into, into Holandris. Yeah, Holandris. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess that's it, huh? Yeah. And I, I think... I think, like, you know, if we're going, like, you know, like, mild, medium, hot, right? Like, I think... Both Desegne and Skolex are mild, and both Lahuvim and Holandris are hot. I think the Council is definitely more medium, and I think Zymox is a little bit like medium hot, right? Um, yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, yeah, the Council is probably my least favorite fight in the raid. I just felt like there was, like, I don't know. They also, they nerfed it a ton. I remember the first time that we did it, I was just like, Jesus Christ, there are so many fucking mechanics. And I think mechanics fights can be fun, right? Like, where it is a fight that is built mostly around mechanical execution, right? Um, and, and kind of coordination on that level. Um, I'm thinking of, like, Lady Inerva Dark Vein is like that, where you're controlling the canisters and not making any of the canisters. We And we've kind of talked about how some of these fights are just about, like, you know, do you have one person in the raid who can kind of exert this iron fist and and kind of control the cadence of this stuff? And I think, um, uh, I think the 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 council fight, the pantheon fight, uh, is pretty similar. Is pretty similar to that, just in terms of you know directing people how movement is going to work, calling calling certain things out. Um, you know where you're doing these seeds or whatever, all that other kind of stuff. And then I also didn't really love Lahuvum. Lahuvum, I think, mostly failed for me on sort of a um, the kind of narrative level, uh, the mechanics are just kind of fine, but also I just don't have a great sense of what I'm doing on like a story perspective, right? Um, compared to some of the other bosses that I think have very compelling sort of just kind of aesthetics and moments and they transport me into the world. Lahuva makes me feel like I'm sitting at my computer killing a World of Warcraft raid boss, whereas Holandris, Holandris yeah, yeah, yeah. Holandris is the, the, the exact opposite of this, right? Just such a perfectly evocative fight that it completely transforms into this, like, 
oh yes, there is this ancient mechanical crab being who doesn't really give a shit about me or my problems and is just sucking, you know, sand, the sucking the the whatever out of the sand beneath our feet, um, ephemera out of the out of the sand beneath our feet, and we just kind of need to beat him up enough that he leaves us that he that he gets out that he leaves us alone right um and moves on you know and moves on with his day um and yeah lahuvam just kind of lacks that it it's just like why why are we here why are we killing this guy i i think in addition to that um i'm gonna say that like lady dark vein had and, and i don't know if i can say why super clearly but had this this, this feeling of like you felt like good that you pulled it off when you beat her, right? Like, that you did the mechanics right. Where And I feel like this is also true for Holandris, but I feel like it's less true for um, for the Council and for uh, Lahuvum, right? It just kind of felt like, you know, mechanics are done, right? And maybe part of, like, part of that is, like, the Lahuvum mechanics are mostly just, like, kill a thing, right? Like, there's not a lot of, like, mastery there that feels, like, neat. Right, like I think I think Sanctum, not uh, yeah, Sanctum had a lot of cool mechanics fights where you felt like you were like you had mastery over the thing that you were doing, right? Um, I think maybe I think uh, uh, kind of like a hallmark of this is that like after you get it once, it kind of like gets easy pretty rapidly, right? It's like oh, I fi we figured out how to do this, whereas like I felt like we didn't totally get that on. Uh, the other bosses, or on, on Lahuvum and the Council Fight. The Council Fight, I don't know, the Council Fight just felt, like, too easy. Like, it's like, it felt, like, the mechanics felt too easy, maybe, is the, is the right, right way to put it, right? Like, um, and they also, it's not like, there were also a lot of, what I'm going to call negative mechanics, right? Like, um, like, things to avoid rather than things to do, which I think just kind of inherently feel less satisfying this is this is i think a reflection of also like you know of kind of like you know bonus versus punishment thing that you know wow is famous for the rest of xp i think that also applies to like avoiding mechanics versus like you know negative mechanics versus positive mechanics um i think positive mechanics always feel better because it's like a level of mastery on, on your side um whereas like the the council fight is a lot of negative mechanics right like um it's you know avoiding the rampaging animals it's um avoiding getting hit by uh by war spears um and it's avoiding like the green pepperoni when we had to deal with those or like running away from you know fake denathrius um the positive mechanics are like killing four dudes to keep the big the big the sea sea of things happening and like healing pods which is like not a thing that like 90 not a thing that like 90 percent of the raid is paying attention to right like that's like a healers only mechanic right like yep um uh, and so, like, yeah, does, does, does that all make does that all make sense to you? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, you know. And something I think I think about when it comes to the success of a, of uh, a fight like Holandris, especially on heroic, is having these like little moments of mastery where it's like, oh, I'm gonna drop my little zone right in the appropriate position, right? Or I'm going to position well on Zymox so that he puts traps in the back end. You know what I mean? Um, rather than kind of in the front end. Um, Zybox is actually a very good example of that because you also have the sort of like the portal stuff too. The portals on, on this version of Zymox were a little bit less in, important than the portals on the previous version of Zymox, the Nathriel version. Um, just because like it was less about the auto wipe 
you know, kind of feature, right? Um, you know, in the sense of with the portals on Nathria Zymox, you know, you, you're dealing with these phantoms, then you're dealing with the things sucking you in, then you're dealing, or no, you're dealing with the phantoms, then the seeds, then the things sucking you in, right? Um, and all of those change the mechanics of the portals somewhat, whereas in this version of Zymox, the portals have the same function every time, which is dodge the rings, right? You just happen to get faster rings, um, uh, or, you know, you get that, that, like, overlapping set of rings, and that's kind of, like, the big issue to kind of deal with when it comes to, when it comes to that version of Zymox. Though I also just love Zymox. I want more repeat bosses. I think Zymox... The the thing I regret about Zymox is that he did not show up in Sanctum. I think Zymox would have been perfect if he was just like this kind of, you know, left field supervillain threat, right? Where he shows up in every raid that we're doing and is trying to pull off a bank heist as we're trying to save the world, right? You know, he shows up in Castle Nathria and he's trying to rob you know, Denathrius's vault while, while Denathrius is distracted and we go and we beat up Zymox and we stop him. Then we, he, he shows up in Sanctum and he does the exact same thing and we beat him up and we stop him. Then he shows up in Sepulchre and he can finally, you know, he does in fact die in Sepulchre, obviously. Um, but he, you know, when, when we show up in Sepulchre, um, he, uh, he's just trying to do, he's just trying to do that same thing. And I would love to see a similar version of this where you have one boss that you're like, okay, I can re I can remix his mechanics a couple of times over the course of an expansion. And he's going to show up in every single fucking raid and just kind of do his shtick <laughs> with, with the heroes. Yeah. And basically be kind of like a second tier, like humorous villain. So he's not like, you know, uh, stealing a spotlight from, like, the actual mechanics, right? Like, your Team Rocket, effectively, or, like, your Bowser in the Paper Mario games, right? Like, where he's just kind of, like... Yep. You know, he's not the main threat, but he's around, and he's kind of annoying, but, like, cheeky and amusing in that way. Um, yeah. Like, you could probably have just, like, slotted him into, like, the Protector uh, fight in Sanctum, right? You could even just have him been, like, show up for the beginning of the fight and, be, and like, he, like, activates the Protector or whatever, right? Um, and that wouldn't have been as good, but, like, you could have, like, had that thread and it would have worked, I think. Um, yep. Uh, but, yeah, uh, so we did, we did, like, the opening, like, we did, like, the first set of fights, and then it's, like, Anduin, Rygalon, Dreadlord's trailer, right? I think Anduin was a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot going on there, but I did enjoy it. Like, it, it, it felt, like, in terms of that, like, you know, it feels good to, like, master these mechanics. I felt that way strongly about Anduin. Um, yeah, me too. Especially because those mechanics uh, provided a lot of windows. It felt like for me to to for me to express individualized success, if that makes sense. Which was like I'm holding my cooldowns for certain interactions, right? Because I know I can time things up so that we, the Lich King phases, you know, starts. Um, all of these ghouls pop up, and I have my full suite of AOE cooldowns and Bladestorm to just, like, absolutely massacre these ghouls, right? Um, or the thing that I was doing that felt good was I went down in that downstairs phase and I killed one of the little walking Anduin ghosts in, like, uh, like four globals or something. It was just, like, it was, like, Charge, Colossus Smash, Ancient Aftershock, Mortal Strike... And the thing was probably dead at that point, right? Like, it was just, like... And and that kind of stuff 
feels really good, right? Where you, one person gets to to exercise just this piece of mastery over the fight. Or another example of this might be um, the the ads in the second phase, right? You have these Anduin ads that need to be feared um, or need to be CC'd in some way. And like sometimes the CC would break. And, you know, in those situations are just like, okay, I will lock this one down with all of the pieces of CC in my kit with War Stomp, Intimidating Shout, Pummel, you know, Stormbolt, whatever it is. Um, and, uh, and so like, I can kind of make up for what would otherwise be just kind of like a wipe, um, in, you know, in the raid. I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I similarly had interaction where it's like, I saved my touch of death to like deal with one of the, like to deal with one of the downstairs at, or like, you know, if like, you know, we're out of like, you know, there's like healing to be done. I can like stop and be like, okay, I'll cast Vivify on one of the heal ads downstairs because, you know. The damage is, is dealt with and they need the extra stuff. I agree with you entirely. The only thing that I didn't like about the Anduin fight, and this is, again, a very kind of, like, monk-specific thing, but I also think it's kind of, like, in, uh, it's indicative of, like, maybe one of the problems with the expansion, which is, like, the um, the faction uh, ability options, right? Like, um, like, that big AoE part I thought was, like, super fun, but I was always shitty on the parses because I was playing the wrong Covenant. Right, like I didn't have bone disbrew, so like I like, and bone disbrew was like so big that it was like, it was like it was like a double digit percentage in terms of like you know how much damage you did, which just kind of felt bad, right? Like I don't know, I don't know why any other would be like you know, well I guess this is not accessible to me because I didn't I'm not picking the right covenant, which I guess is less less of an issue later in the expansion you can switch easily between them, but it also feels like less good. I don't know. Like, yeah, I was when when that was a thing. I was always just measuring myself against other people of my same of my same covenant, right? Like, because um, you know you could sort by that in in Warcraft logs. So that's, that's what I was always paying attention to. Is like, where am I for these Necrolords warriors rather than any other kind of warrior? So, I, so for the most part, I think that 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 was also true for me. It's just like specifically on these like like like. You know, here is a moment where you have to dump AOE damage. Bone Disbrew mm -hmm. was, like, so good at that, right? And, like, nothing else, like, it's not like Phalanx like, Stop was, like, particularly good in another situation. That, like, I really felt it in those moments, right? It was, like, you know, it, it was, like, such a big difference. And it's not, and again, like, it's not like Phalanx Stop, like, gave me such a big advantage in a different fight that I felt good about it, right? Like, I would top healing charts as a DPS, right? Like, I got, like, great healing parses because Phalanx Stomp healed. But, like, it's not like that was, like, you know, um, a thing I particularly cared about. It was just, like, a, a mm. neat thing, whereas, like, the bonus brew was, like, just so good in those fights that it, like, it, it felt it felt bad, I guess, the way to put it. Yeah, I also just really liked the end phase of, of the Anduin fight, you know, where you have that thing in the middle and, um, and you know, you, like, it creates the proper ramping feeling of, oh, God, we have to kill him, right? Which is always the thing you want any of these these boss fights to end on, uh, is this feeling of, like, you are seconds from death, seconds from failure. You just need you just need someone, anyone, to do the last, like, 2% of the boss's health uh, because the mechanics are all of a sudden really, really lethal. Um, and so, yeah, Edwin is, is probably... Oh boy, my favorite fight in Sanctum was Kel'Thuzad. Boy, that's a really good fight. And then my favorite fight in Nathria. God, I don't remember what I said. My favorite fight in Nathria was. Maybe it was Zymox. 
Because what do you have? You had Shriekwing, you had Kael'thas. I would be interested to, like, go back and remember what yeah. it was. You had Sludge Fist. Um, Generals. You had... The Dance. The Dance. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, we can go back and listen to our episode on it at some point. Yeah. I think I want to say Zymox. Um, Kel'Thuzad is definitely better than, than Zymox. So the question is, do I like Anduin better than I like Kel'Thuzad? Part of it is that I really like the story in the Anduin fight. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We, we haven't talked a lot about story in, in 9.2. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm just a weird... I feel weird saying that I like the WoW story because I feel like a fucking shill and it's just expected at that point. But I just think that the end, win, the end of the Enduin fight, the cinematic that goes with it, all of that stuff works uh, kind of like gangbusters. Um, people were mad about that on the internet for kind of dumb bullshit reasons. But I really enjoyed sort of the the this use of Arthas in Shadowlands, um, specifically, you know, he is one of the most important characters, right, in, like, Warcraft lore. And I think there's that big question of, like, can you do Arthas justice, right? Um, and how do you do Arthas in a modern version of the game without kind of disrespecting that legacy or whatever? And so having this kind of be the final version, like, the final, uh, the final time that he shows up, and it is as a moment of sort of... Uh, uh, it is as at a moment of kind of like realization for this other character, um, for Sylvanas, right? Where she has this moment to actually get the closer closure with Arthas that she needs in order to kind of complete her character arc. Um, all that, you know, th that stuff just works really, really well for me. I also think that it is a particularly apt summing up of his character because his whole, you know, like his villainous motivation in the same way that like, you know, um... I don't know what are what are some other like villains like the emperor in Star Wars wants to conquer the galaxy and rule it with an iron fist right like this is his basic villain motivation he just wants complete authoritarian control of everything um Arthas's villain motivation was immortality he wanted to be immortal he wanted to never die he wanted to be invincible right um and so it is particularly poetic justice for someone like Arthas to get that line from Sylvanas that you know she she doesn't just hope that he fades obviously he's dead forever right um she also wants his name to kind of fade from history right which is kind of the spiritual death of you know what is the least amount of immortal someone can be well if everyone forgets them kind of thing um and i just loved all that stuff and maybe that tips anduin over the edge but god the kelthazad fight is so great that maybe maybe it's kelthazad I don't know. It's definitely between those two, though. Anduin is absolutely my favorite fight in Sepulchre of the First One. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, yeah, um, we're at the hour mark. Did you want to talk about Ragalon Dreadlords? You know, Should so Rigalon Dreadlords were, were definitely interesting fights. I actually th think I liked Rigalon quite a lot, um, just in terms of there. It was a it was a really up tempo is maybe the way I would call that fight. You know, it was fast, but it wasn't chaotic. It was just you you know, you had to be on your toes and you had to and you had to move and react quickly to things, which is a really fine line to uh a really fine line to walk, I think, in terms of um uh in terms of like wow bosses. It's pretty easy for them to make fast fights, but I think a lot of the time those fast fights can become chaotic fights and that's typically when I don't like them as much. Um, and, uh, and so in terms of, 
and so, you know, in terms of kind of Rigalon being this really sort of tough uh, kind of gear check boss in the back half of the raid, sort of, you know, sort of like Sludge Fist, sort of like protector of the first ones, you know, I, I kind of had a, I had a good time with him. Um, and then of course there was, uh, there was Malaganus and Contessa, you know, the Lord, Lords of Dread. Um, that fight was kind of fine. I thought the, the Among Us phase was sort of cute, but there really wasn't anything else in there that was incredibly sort of interesting or compelling. It captured the fantasy of fighting a Dreadlord well enough that I think it's good, but doesn't really do anything kind of above and beyond that. And then when it comes to the Jailer, I actually like the Jailer fight a lot, and it's probably my favorite of the end bosses. Um, it is just mostly because it is shorter than Sylvanas's fight, and it has a similar sort of ramp of uh, danger right um that i want out of out of a fight like that like it does feel really climactic right and there's just a lot of stuff going on um but i do think that there was a bit of the fight that kind of felt i cheap in a way right like the big danger of that fight is there's all these holes in the ground that are constantly you know that, that you're threatening to get knocked back into which are inherently one-shot mechanics and those can kind of not be super fun or fair feeling um so that's kind of the only downside of the the jailer fight but otherwise i like that fight quite a lot i, I think i would agree with you obviously i haven't seen the heroic version but like the i think the jailer fight falls down when like the specific mechanics are kind of janky and like you know you jump into a hole and like you know it pops you out into another hole and it feels like you know that was like a thing that like shouldn't have happened right like that kind of thing yeah. um uh, but yeah, so I, I agree with you. I agree with you there, but I, th I think I agree that like the, the, the jailer, at least on normal, was, super, was fun. I don't know. I found the mechanics in the Melganus fight kind of annoying. Um, just kind of like, like I thought the Among Us thing was neat, but also just like hard to coordinate and like um, not super compelling in that way, right? Like, um, and like the pools on the ground were just, I, I thought were just like, Maybe because we were so melee heavy, just like I, I found them more infuriating than I found them like it's uh, satisfying. Um, but yeah. <sighs> Anything else you want to say about this patch before we get into the back half? You know, uh, I guess just to mention it, Mythic Plus was pretty fun this patch, and I really enjoyed the addition of Tazavesh, which which we got. Um, historically, I, I do like the Mega Dungeons. You know, Mechagon was also sort of my favorite. Tazavesh Streets might be my favorite. Um, might be my favorite Shadowlands kind of Mythic Plus dungeon. Um, maybe Theater of Pain. It's it's like it's a real toss up between those two, but I'm just like, I'm really looking forward to season four where I'm not we're not doing any of these base Shadowlands dungeons. It is just, um, you know, it's Tazavesh, it's Karazhan, it's Mechagon, and it's, and it's dungeons from Warlords of Draenor, all mythic plusified, if that makes sense. And, um, and I'm just really interested to see what mythic plus is going to be like in a world where most of the dungeons are completely brand new. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, I guess then, uh, how was your week? How was my week? Um, the big thing that I have been doing this week uh, is playing Total War Warhammer 3. Uh, mostly just wishing to God that fucking Immortal Empires would come out already. Uh, Immortal Empires is slated to come out August 23rd, which is about three weeks from now. Um, which I'm obviously super excited for. What, what like, it 
has okay to back to back this up a second i complained a little bit last week about how the realm of the realms of chaos worked right the realms of chaos pull you out of the game in order to go do this other thing where it feels like you have well now you also have your home base that is really under threat and under siege by all these demons and it's like well that's not a great fun you know a great fun feeling in a strategy game right to just kind of take your most important powerful army and zap them across the world for really no benefit it's not like you you're getting a huge huge windfall out of that or anything like that it is mostly just because you arbitrarily need to kind of advance the plot of this thing right this is something that is different than the Vortex campaign, which I actually quite liked in Total War Warhammer 2, because in Total War Warhammer 2, it just made it made you have to find certain settlements on the map. There were certain settlements that were really key locations, and you needed to bunker in and defend those locations from oncoming assaults, right? You know, you you captured these places, they had whatever they were, rune stones or whatever, and those rune stones you know, f flooded into the, the progression of this Vortex campaign. Because all that stuff is happening on the main mainline map, it just feels better. So anyway, the thing that I did in Total War Warhammer 3 was I picked up a mod that allowed me to shut off the Realms of Chaos, and I'm just kind of playing it as a paint-the-map-red sort of game. And it's fun. Uh, it's actually less fun than I expected, just because having the rifts show up every couple of turns, like every, whatever, 30, 40 turns, actually does kind of create these, these little goals that sort of separate out, you know, you're thinking about expansion and contraction in a different way. In this version of things, the rifts never spawn, they never have intera any interaction with you, there's no closing of rifts that, that mean that you need to kind of defend your territory, um... So, and I, and I kind of realized that given that that was the case, uh, I mostly just pushed like the, the borders of my empire. And I don't really think like, I, I want to say maybe like the AI or something is worse than in something like immortal empires. Um, just because they maybe are, are programmed somehow to deal with these rifts. They just seem much more passive than I'm used to, right? You know, I'm used to going to war with like a bunch of these AI groups and they are really getting into my face and, and pressuring my settlements and stuff like that. Whereas uh, without, without the presence of the rifts, they don't, they don't seem to be doing that as much. I feel like that's just a, you know, a, a reflection of the mod and I'm hopeful that, you know, that's not the kind of thing that will, that will happen when it comes to immortal empires. Uh, but that's where that's more or less where I live. I just want Immortal Empire so fucking bad, and uh, and it can't get here soon enough. So yeah, fair enough. Fair enough for for my side of things. I went and I saw a movie called DC League of Super Pets, um, and uh, it was fucking great. It was you know not to, hopefully not to color your judgment too much for when we eventually get around to talking this about this, but um, it's probably the, my favorite superhero movie that I've seen in like the past. Definitely this year, maybe the past couple of years. Um, wow. Um, I don't wow. want to say anything more because obviously we're going to talk about it as an episode. So Sure. Um, you know, fun fact, I actually did re – I rewatched recently uh, Teen Titans Go to the Movies because I don't really remember why. I just – you know, I, I remember loving that. I saw it like four or five times in theaters. I remember loving it in theaters. And I just didn't really think about it after that. And, uh, and I was just like, oh, hey, you know, I, I should watch I should watch that again. And I did. And that movie is still gangbusters. It is so fucking funny that it is also maybe my, my, my favorite superhero movie of the last – probably since Aquaman, right? 
Aquaman was 2018. Yeah, I don't... yeah, it's probably my favorite superhero movie since Aquaman. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I think part of that is just because these Marvel movies have sucked uh, in you know in Phase Four. This is becoming a more a much more common refrain uh, apparently, which is that Phase Four sucks. People don't like Phase Four, which I would agree with. I also don't like Phase Four. Um, and uh, uh, and then the, the other DC movies, I guess you know, like what else has come out? Oh, well, the Snyder Cut came out. That's also pretty great. Probably not as great as Teen Titans Go to the Movies, though. Um, the Wonder Woman movie sucked. Uh, and we haven't gotten Black Adam yet. So, you know, it's like Shazam, Wonder Woman, and Black Adam, I guess, are the are the the DC movies that have come out since then. Oh, Harley Quinn also came out, which was fine. Nothing nothing special. Yeah. Um, and uh, Suicide Squad. Both of them? Um, oh, that's true. The new Suicide Squad. I did really like that. Yeah. I really like that one. That's maybe a contender, right? Uh, it just—I I, I feel like superhero movies have, um, you know, it's—it's it's harder and harder to make them stand out as the market has kind of gotten saturated. I guess is—is is what I would say uh, when it comes to this stuff. People are—people tr- are, are talking about Doctor Doom uh, and Kang the Conqueror. Um, you know, the Wakanda Forever trailer. Did you see that trailer? Uh, yeah, I did. We'll see how it is. I, was, I, I, it really feels like without Chadwick Boseman, what the fuck are they going to do with that movie? It seems like the main character is Angela Bassett as T'Challa's dad, or I'm sorry, T'Challa's mom. And I'm just like, really? Are we going to, are we going to try and make that, like, are we going to try and make that work? Is it going to try and be an ensemble movie where you kind of take all of these sort of, you know, like I like these characters, right? Okoye and and Shuri and um, and everyone else in sort of the supporting cast, but like I don't think any of them really have that kind of headlining material. I'm excited for Namor, right? You know, Namor is the villain. Namor is the you know is sort of the Marvel version of Aquaman in the in the sense that he is the king of Atlantis. He tends to be a little bit rougher and you know kind of uh, ride the line between hero and villain more. Um, you know, he has that, he has that kind of haughty, uh, arrogance that comes with playing, you know, like playing, uh, the king of a nation or whatever. And I think that that's sweet, but it's just like, who is he up? Like, who is he up against? I don't know. I don't know what it's, what's going to happen, but we'll, we'll see in a couple of months. Right. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, oh, um, and the, Sh- the Shazam two tra- trailer played in front of DC League of Super Pets. <gasps> oh, I have not seen that. That's actually really interesting. Okay. Yeah, so Wakanda Forever, when does that come out? November 11th, which is going to be... So it's Black Adam first. Black Adam is in October. Then Wakanda Forever. Um, and then we'll start seeing some of this other stuff. Was the Shazam trailer good? I haven't seen anything. So. I, 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 thought it was, I thought it was neat. I'm excited for it. Um, just because I liked Shazam 1. Um, and, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. It's, it's definitely still like, a, I don't want to call it a kid's movie, but like definitely aimed at that demographic, right? Like, um, like the theme of this one seems to be like, I wish Shazam, but then all my family also got powers and am I special? Right. Um, and then like Shazam's like, you need to be here. Like the wizards, like you need to be a hero or something. And so it looks like it'll be fun. Um, not sure how good it'll be, but it looks like it'll be fun. Down for that. I hope they have a. I hope they have a cool villain. Yeah. That's the that's the interesting thing, right? Is you know they they obviously used Savannah, and then the other famous Shazam villain is Black Adam, who has got who's gotten his own movie, movie starring. That doesn't you know, have doesn't have Shazam in it apparently. 
Yeah. Um, so, who knows? I did see that, and then also Aquaman two. Hold on. It, it, so, so the, two, the villain for Shazam: Fury of the Gods. That's the name of it. Is like an old woman that I think is like a different like, like the the trailer was like. We're mad because Shazam stole all our powers or something like that. Like the wizard Shazam stole all our powers. Um, uh, her name's Hespera, apparently. Uh, one of the daughters of Atlas and the main villain of the film. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and then Aquaman 2 is next year. Okay, so Aquaman 2 is um, uh, March 17th, 2023. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Appar- apparently, Shazam! Fury of the Gods is December 21st. Uh, okay, wow. So, I, I, I guess I had those those, those flipped, right? Uh, of who was going to be whom in... Uh, or w- which was going to be where um, in that movie. I'm very excited because I'm told the, the pipeline has suggested that Ben Affleck is going to reprise his role as Batman in... in uh, Aquaman 2, which I think is sweet because, you know, I don't know. I just <laughs> I like Ben Affleck as Batman, and I think that it is it is neat that they are just completely fucking their own continuity, right? Who cares at this point? Uh, who knows? <laughs> so I so again, this is not this is not. I'm not going to tell you what happens to DC League of Super Spets, but I I have to know because I've been wanting to ask you this question for like four days now. What is Crypto the Superdog's origin story in the comics? Oh, that is a good question. Uh, I think... Man, I actually don't know off off the top of my head. I need to... I, I want to I know. Um, in most continuities, Crypto is a Superman pet dog, usually depicted as a white dog of a generic pedigree. Crypto is sometimes depicted... Uh, that's not what I'm looking for. Show me the ori- the modern crypto. So, I uh, oh my god, what this is this is fucking insane. All right, let me just let me just read this. Eventually, crypto in several forms was reintroduced to the Superman mythos. The first being as essentially an exact copy of the pre-crisis crypto existing in a pocket universe created by the Time Trapper. So I guess he existed in another universe and shows up in in this one. Um Okay, actually, the third and more familiar version of Crypto was introduced in the early 2000s Superman comic storyline Return to Krypton as a dog from a false idealized Krypton that coincidentally resembled pre-crisis Krypton that was created as a trap by Brainiac 13. Superman was able to defeat the trap, and when he returned to Earth, Crypto followed him. Okay, I guess that's the answer. (laughs) Okay. Um, This is not a big spoiler, but in the movie, um, when... Superman is being like Superman away from Krypton. Um, Crypto is Superman's puppy, and you know jumps in the in the pod as he's flying away, and so is his like, yeah. <laughs> um, and is his friend from from birth or from you know from childhood, which you know I think is fine for the for the movie that it is in. That is totally fine because um, I was like. You know, you can't recon that into like the DC mainline universe, right? It's like, and then Crypto is also in like the, the space penis with him. Um, uh, do they do, do do they do anything with Ace the Bat Hound? Like, give him an origin story of any? Uh, 
so yes, yes. Like so this so the 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 um kind of overarching kind of like the uh, like the stuff from the trailer, I guess, is um crypto is Superman's dog and then a bunch of other pets are are present and like get an origin story in the movie. Um because uh, there there are a bunch of other pets that like are like the like the main plot of the movie is, or the, the main the the kind of main thrust of the movie is there are a bunch of these other pets and they get an origin story like cryptos like kind of like pre-established as a hero and uh, they have to go save the day essentially so it's a good movie Ace Ace is there um, there's a pig uh, there's uh, uh, what's it called um, a turtle. Um, that is doing like the kind of like the turtle. The turtle gets the turtle is fast type things because that's oh, funny. Oh, it's the Flash. Yeah, yeah. Like super speed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and then the villain is a uh, is um uh, uh uh it's not a hamster. It's like a dro- it's one of those like small like rodents. Um, and they make a joke about like whichever one it is. It's like they make fun of the like. You know, like a hamster's like a like a like a shitty guinea pig or whatever. Like you know, oh, whatever they are is like the best one, and they keep like naming them the wrong thing, and they keep making fun. Like that's like what a recurring joke. So, um, yeah, um, it's uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the promotional material, but like there's this great picture of like cyborg shows up and he's got like half an afro, um, and it's, and he's and, like the the freeze frame is just him being like. Uh, with like his half afro, <laughs> and it's great. So it, it, no, it's it's uh it's it is super funny. Um, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you about it because uh, I think it's not only funny but it's also like good on its own terms. Um, okay. So yeah, interesting. I yeah, I'm super down. Honestly, I'm interested because uh, is there any Aquaman representation in here? Aquaman's in, in the movie. Okay, so does he have a super pet? Um, so the, I can't, I can't go into more detail without, without. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Cause the thing, the thing that I'm wondering is there's so many good options, right? Aquaman has Topo, the, the octopus, um, who is famously the octopus that is drumming in the Aquaman movie is, is Topo. Uh, he also has the seahorse from the super friends who I think has a name that I don't, that I don't remember. Um, and then there are also other versions of, uh, of Aquaman where, um, uh, uh, King Shark from Suicide Squad is also kind of quote unquote his his pet, uh, and it's just like what you could go anywhere with that, right? Like <laughs> it's so fertile, but I don't want uh, I'll I'll figure it out on my own. We'll, we'll learn on our own terms. Yeah. Uh, uh, what what ends up happening? Yeah, no, like I said, it's it's a lot of fun, um, uh, and I think you're going to uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. I definitely did. So, yeah. Um, uh, what else did I do this week? I played a bunch of multiverses, um, and multiverses is fun. Um, and I've also made my way through most of um, uh, 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 Endymion is is the book. Um, it is the third book in the Hyperion Cantos, which I've been over before. It is like this this series of books is is, is very good. I I I think it's great. Uh, I and I would highly recommend it to everybody. Um, uh, and it's like it's. Like I think I think everybody should at least read Hyperion and see if you like it, and then continue on from there. But Hyper- Hyperion is literally like a sci-fi version of the Canterbury Tales, tales um, and mm-hmm. it's great. And it just builds on the world from there. So uh, I recommend that. Um, there was 
Oh, um, this is this is kind of dumb, but I also uh, so where are the other things? I went to the Museum of Fine Art in Boston, which is pretty cool. If you like early American art or ancient, it's like they've got some like Greek and Roman and Egyptian stuff, which is pretty cool. Um, and I didn't get all the way through the museum. I did most of the ancient stuff and most of the uh, early American stuff, which is, I don't know. There's like a lot of like pieces of furniture that I, I personally found fascinating, just like examples of like how it was all constructed and like what colonial, early colonial living looked like. They also have a cool mm-hmm. instrument collection, um, which I thought was neat. It's a smaller thing, but it's, it was super neat. Um, and then uh, last weird rating is uh, I tried the Marshmallow Coke Zero, um, marshmallow the DJ because despite what you might think with a name like marshmallow the flavor is watermelon strawberry um, and it's uh, not good so I do not recommend I, I also tried the like, like a couple months ago tried like the the starry night Coke Zero which I thought was pretty cool it tasted vaguely cinnamony almost like a Christmas Coke um, interesting okay so if you can find that might be gone now but if you could find that I'd say that that's worth a try marshmallow uh, Coke thumbs down um, so yeah you do anything else? Have you, have you tried the mango, the mango Coke Zero? Uh, that's is there a mango Coke Zero? I saw there was a mango Diet Coke, but I never got around to trying it. Uh, I mm, uh, I might be misremembering, uh, but I really enjoyed. Uh, I really enjoyed whether or not uh, you know uh, it was Diet Zero Coke or Coke Zero. I really enjoyed the mango. I always I always love those like little off you know fruit flavorings that that they do. Anytime I see one of those, I immediately pick it up because in my opinion, it just is. It breaks up the monotony. That's the thing that I'm always looking for. It's like breaking up the monotony of just drinking the same thing over and over again. Something that I really enjoyed, and I can't, I don't find them as often anymore, was the um, half Coke, half coffee uh, flavor, which I like the I, – so I, I can find like the full calorie versions, but I really like the Coke Zero version, right? Like they have coffee, vanilla, and mocha. I thought they were all pretty good, right? Like you know, if you wanted something that was you know, a little bit different – I thought I thought the the, the uh, Coke Zero versions of those flavors were good. I thought the I I generally think full calorie Coke is a little too sweet now. Um, like just I've been drinking Coke Zero for so long that like the full the full calorie Coke just tastes like really sweet on my tongue. Um, but uh, I like the uh, I like the coffee variants. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have anything else you want to talk about with your week before we get out of here? Uh, Better Call Saul is wrapping up soon, and uh, I just caught up to the most recent episodes, and woof is all is all I have to say. Uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but just boy, I I there's a I'm more nervous about Better Call Saul now than I was about well I want to say about Breaking Bad, but really many shows. I feel like it could really stick the landing, or it could really flub the landing. Um, and, um, you know, you just don't know, you just don't know which, you, you don't know which is, which is going to be. Um, I, uh, there are pieces in this season that are insanely cool and I just want to talk about them for days. I mean, I, I mentioned, did I mention the monologue at the, at the end of the third yeah, yeah. episode? Yeah. That it's, it's like stuck with me. I like. The way he points, uh, I I can't even. Oh, but we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, I'll catch up soon. Uh, I I but I'm just so nervous. Ah, are they gonna fuck it up? Ah, uh, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think <laughs> I've settled on like I was like, oh, I'll rewatch everything, and then when you watch the season, I just 
don't think I'm going to have the time. I think I'll read the plot synopsis on Wikipedia of the previous seasons and then go watch uh, watch the most latest season, and I think that'll be good enough. Yeah, it is. I would say it is maybe the best show that has ever showed a journey, right, from kind of point A to point B. Um in terms of in terms of characters and character development and you know growth right um you know i've talked before about how the secret to to better call saul and to breaking bad is watching these kinds of exceptional people do exceptional things right uh you know a lot of people's favorite episode of breaking bad is the train heist where they steal the methylamine from the parked from the parked train because it's a very contained episode right it is mostly just about this one technical problem and the the process that they go through to solve that problem inside of inside of a specific episode. Um, or another good example from Better Call Saul would be uh, the way that Mike steals the money in um, the way that Mike steals the money from uh, the Kettleman's house, right? With you know. Uh, the this the set of marked bills that he tracks with the uv light and everything in the first season of better call saul it's just like a very it's it's just like a very straightforward very specific uh step-by-step playing out of watching a person who is very good at their job doing doing a cool thing um and unfortunately season six has had fewer of those moments for uh better call saul than i would have otherwise uh, that I that I would have otherwise liked, but it also just completes some of these you know character arcs, um, and it's knocking down these dominoes that have been set up so so far in the past, and it's just like, oh, boy, where's it where's it where's it going? Where's it going to end? Who knows? I don't. Three weeks, two 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 weeks maybe. Uh, fuck. All right. Well. Um, you guys, I guess, I guess we'll handle this in like the, the last, last announcements, but, um, I'll, I'll wrap it up. If you want to email us about any of the things that we talked about in this episode, you can email us at dirtplaygames.gmail.com or podcast at dirtplaygames.com. Rate and view us on, uh, podcast places. Give us money on Patreon if you feel like it. These go out live on twitch.tv slash dirtplaygames. You can comment live if you want to, as I check the chat to make sure no one said anything. Um, and, uh, I think that's everything I have. Buddy, didn't you guys, like, announce, like, a new game coming out soon or something? Oh, yeah, we did. That's a good point. Uh, we announced Cryptmaster. Uh, Cryptmaster is... It's honestly very hard to talk about this game, but I think you will think it is cool. Basically, so... It's a classic dungeon is. crawler, right? Like, that's what it looked like. Yeah, so it, is, so it is a dungeon crawler, right? But it is a dungeon crawler where you type the actions that you're taking right so you you know like you you still walk forward all that stuff is whatever but like what'll happen is you'll get to a door and then you type open right and then you open the door or you type lock for instance and you lock the door um or you know you'll type you'll walk up to a guy and you'll type hit and you'll hit the guy or you'll type zap and you'll zap the guy right um and it's just about like how it's like clever pu- puzzle solving, right? Just with word play. Um, and it all has this, uh, this, you know, voiceover from the crypt master himself who, who talks in the trailer or whatever. It is in just an insanely cool game. The, when we got the pitch for crypt master, every single person on the team played it and they, and we, and most of the time what happened, you know, just to pull the, the current back, this is, this is normally what happens when we, when we sign a game, here's what happens. A couple of people on the team see it. 
You want one of those people to say, this game is good. Typically, one person will go, it's fine, show it to the rest of the team, and we'll see what we think. And then maybe one or two people will will be like, I love this game, let's sign it. And then everyone else on the team is kind of like, it's fine, you know, if sure, let's sign it, why not? I don't care that much, but like, whatever, who cares? Let's sign it. Um Cryptmaster was a game that every single person on the team saw, and we were all like, holy shit, this is awesome. Sign this game. We have to take this game, right? Which has never happened before or since, right? Like in any of the in any of the Akupara games that we have ever that we have ever signed, there's never been that just like unanimous, like, yes, I get it immediately. It's so cool. The art is ridiculous and I'm on. I'm immediately on board, right? Um, obviously, it's very far far out in development. You know, we just launched the Steam page, um, but you know, I would recommend wishlisting it and and other stuff because we're gonna do we're gonna do more with it in in the future. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be honest. My my immediate reaction upon seeing like as, like just seeing like the opening of the trailer was like inscription, right? Like it it, it has that like vibe. Um, at least with the yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, it definitely definitely has that that same vibe. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited for it. I have just wish wish listed this live because I forgot to wish list it when I saw the trailer. Um, but you know now it is wish listed, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, you have anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? No, I'm good. All right. Well, then I'm going to say until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>